Take your Bible and turn with me to the book of Acts and the second chapter there. We're in a series of messages entitled, It's Your Move. And um, in this series, what we're doing is we are following the outline that is given for the book of Acts in the first chapter, in the eighth verse, where Jesus commanded his followers to be his witnesses in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and the uttermost parts of the earth. And he said, but I want you to wait in Jerusalem until I send the Holy Spirit. And that's where we found them last week while they were waiting for God to send the Holy Spirit. And then the second chapter of Acts begins. And bam, things just fly wide open as God sends the promised Holy Spirit into the lives of these believers. And they get on the move. And we begin to see in the book of Acts in the second chapter how the church of God on the move became an influence for good and righteousness in the city of Jerusalem. Now the church of God in Jesus Christ became a force for righteousness and good because the church got moving. And if the church of the 21st century, this church, is going to make a difference in our city, in our world, the church has got to get moving. And so as we look at God's Word this morning, before we dive into the text, I want to share with you that uh, I'm I'm not a great baker. In fact, I won't even claim to be a baker, but uh, have done a little bit, and I'm remembering a recipe that I read for um, a made-from-scratch cake. And I'm reading through the recipe, and the recipe... Uh, calls for you to drop a pinch of salt, (laughs) a pinch of salt in the batter. And I'm thinking to myself, the last thing I want to do is make a salty cake. That'll ruin it for sure. And so, you know, I really had my doubts until I learned that you drop a pinch of salt in the cake batter, not to make it salty, but actually to make it sweet because it takes away the bitter taste and it brings out the full flavor of the sweetness of the ingredients that go into the cake batter and gives it that full flavor that you get when you eat cake. Now I've used that illustration this morning because at some point in our lives, and for many of you, you've been a part of this church for a good long time, but at some point in our lives we've looked for another church to join? What should you look for in a church? What are the makings of a healthy church? And that's the title of our message this morning from Acts chapter 2 as we look at God's Word together. Now, know this, that all churches, wherever they are, trace their roots back to just one church. And it's the church that we read about in Acts chapter 2. It's the first church of Jesus Christ in the city of Jerusalem. Now there are a lot of things that churches can do, so we have to ask ourselves from time to time, what is it that's priority that we should be doing? Because churches, like all organizations, are susceptible to mission drift. We can chase a lot of things, go in a lot of different directions, and lose our moorings we can somehow get off track of what the first church did 
And so what we have is we have this clarion call that comes to us from the Scriptures to don't lose your way. Go back and look at what the church did, the first church did when the Holy Spirit came into the lives of those believers and they got moving. I want you to follow along with me in God's Word this morning. The title of our message is The Makings for a Healthy Church. And we're looking at Acts chapter 2, beginning at verse 37, going through the end of this chapter this morning. And follow along with me as we read God's Word together. I'm reading from verse 37 in Acts 2. When they heard this, that is, those who heard Peter's message, they received the Holy Spirit on the day of Pentecost, start of chapter 2. And there were people who were filled with the Holy Spirit who actually began to testify to Jesus Christ being the risen Savior. And what made it so spectacular is that there were people from all over the world, from various nations who were there in Jerusalem to observe Passover and the Jewish religious feasts that were taking place in the city at that time. And they were pilgrims from all over the world. And so they were many people who spoke different languages. These people who were filled with the Holy Spirit were given a gift to be able to speak other languages without having taken any language course. The people who heard them speaking thought they were babbling, that they were, <laughs> didn't know what was going on. Some accused that they were even drunk. And they said, look, we're not drunk. We've just received the Holy Spirit of God. Jesus promised to send the Holy Spirit. And so these people began to hear them testifying to Jesus in their own language. It was a miracle. Peter stood up and he began to preach. And he began in the Old Testament because there was no New Testament book that he could read from. So he began to unfold for them all that was happening in the city that day how Joel the prophet had prophesied that the Holy Spirit would be sent, and how Jesus is the fulfillment of all the prophecies of the Old Testament that spoke about the Messiah. And then the message reaches a crescendo and says, and you killed him. You crucified him. And this same Jesus has been raised from the dead, and he has sent his Holy Spirit inside of us. And the people who heard this message came under the conviction of the Holy Spirit. And that's what we read about here in Matthew chapter 2, verse 37. So when they heard this, they were pierced to the heart, it says. And they said to Peter and the rest of the apostles, Brothers, what should we do? And Peter replied, Repent and be baptized, each of you, in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins, and you'll receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. For the promise is for you and for your children and for all who are far off, as many as the Lord our God will call. And with so many other words, he testified and strongly urged them, saying, Be saved from this corrupt generation. So those who accepted his message were baptized, and that day about 3,000 people were added to them. They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching, to fellowship, to the breaking of the bread, and to prayer. And everyone was filled with awe, and many wonders and signs were being performed through the apostles. Now all the believers were together and held all things in common. 
They sold their possessions. Remember, these people had been there in the city for some time now. They didn't plan on staying for this long. And so there were many who had needs. And they distributed this property, and they distributed the proceeds to all as any had need. And every day they devoted themselves to meeting together in the temple, and they broke bread from house to house. They ate their food with joyful and sincere hearts, praising God and enjoying favor of all the people. And every day the Lord added to their number those who were being saved. Every day people were being saved. Now I read this passage and I think to myself sometimes when I read the book, do you ever just sit down and read through the book of Acts? I mean, we're doing that now a little bit at a time. But sometimes I read the book of Acts and I look at the church in the book of Acts and then I look at my church and I go, I mean, things seem so exciting in the book of Acts. And then I look at my church and I just go, you know, it seems like we go through just the same old, same old week after week. And I think that's a good point for us to think about a few things about that first church. And here's what I want you to know. The first church was not a perfect church. Sometimes we look at the book of Acts and we see that it's full of all these exciting events and the power of the Holy Spirit and the lives of these believers and we want that and we can have that and that's available to us today and we ought to seek that and we ought to desire that with all of our hearts but the first church was not a perfect church and this church is not a perfect church. There are no perfect churches. We read the book of Acts and we read on into the letters that are written to those churches in these New Testament letters that are addressed, many of them just by the name of the city in which the church was planted. We read these letters to the churches and we read stories about there being dissension and disunity. We read about sexual immorality. This is among believers in these churches. We read about all sorts of sins that are in these churches and we come to realize that the Holy Spirit of God fills people who have real problems. Remember my definition of the church? My definition of the church is the church is a group of sinners who have bound themselves together and decide to do something about it. So there are no perfect churches. Second thing I want you to know, for the first 300 years, the church had no buildings to call their own. I mean, there was... No First Baptist of Jerusalem written on the outside of a building somewhere. For the first 300 years, churches had no buildings. Now, we thank God that we have buildings today. Otherwise, we'll all just load up and meet at your house next week. And that wouldn't be bad. You know why? Because we would still be the church. The church is not buildings. The church is people. Are you with me? Sometimes we get this disconnect and we begin to think of the church as being the place where we go to have church or go to do church or go to be the church. The church is 24-7. We gather as the church now and when we leave out of here, we are dismissed as the church into the community. And so for the first 300 years, we need to remember the church had no buildings Today there are churches who are meeting in homes, 
churches that are meeting in huts. There are churches that are meeting in secret places. There are churches all over the world that are meeting in various locations. And what this tells us is that the church of God in Jesus Christ is alive and it is thriving and it's not dependent on her buildings, it's dependent on her people. And then lastly, I want to say to you, before we delve into the text, (laughs) that when we think about the church today, we need to remember that despite her imperfections, The church is Jesus' plan to reach a dark and lost and hurting world. There are many wonderful civic organizations. I've been a part of some myself. They do wonderful charitable work. Uh, Perhaps you're involved in some community service organizations, some community organizations here in Tullahoma. We thank God for the work of these Uh, different groups that serve our community, these service organizations. But God did not assign his mission to the Kiwanis or to the Rotary. God gave his mission assignment to the church. And so today, we need to remember that the church is Jesus' plan to reach our world. And that's why God makes no apology for asking us to give our best effort and the most the majority of our time to the ministry and the work of the church. God does not apologize for that. And I look at the church today and when I, I pick up this book and I look at this book and I look at my church and I think about how I've been conditioned to think about church, And I think to myself, you know, if many Christians treated their employer the same way they treat Jesus and the church, they'd be fired from their jobs. God makes no apology for asking us to give the best of our time and our effort to the ministry of the church. (laughs) Now with that in mind, that soft introduction. Let me share with you what the scripture teaches us about the makings of a healthy church. Number one, healthy churches are made of people who are determined to tell the world about Jesus. You look at those words that describe Peter's sermon and the invitation that he gave to these people in Jerusalem who had gathered there And they've just witnessed the crucifixion of Jesus Christ. And now Jesus has been raised from the dead and the Holy Spirit has come into the lives of those who are His followers. And filled with the Spirit of God, Peter declares the good news of Jesus Christ with the people in the city of Jerusalem. And the message he shares is a simple message. It's found right there in verse 40. His message is, Jesus saves. And that's our message today. Jesus saves. And in response to Peter's message, the scripture tells us about 3,000 people repented of their sins, put their trust in Christ for salvation. They were baptized. 
We have people who are listening online and we have some of you who may be just joining us for the first time in this series that we're going through here in the book of Acts. 2 Peter chapter 3, verse 9 says this, The Lord is patient, not wanting any to perish, but for all to come to repentance. Wherever you are, whoever you are, you need to know this. Our God is a patient God. He doesn't have to be. Our God is a very patient God. He doesn't want you to die without Him. He doesn't want you to die in your sins. But let me tell you something. You will die in your sin if you do not repent. Turn your life over to Christ and say, Jesus, I want you to save me. I'm committing my life to follow you. Now that's the message Peter declared. And it was just that simple, that straightforward. And you know what happened? The Holy Spirit began to work on people's lives just like he's working in this room right now. And those of you who are listening, watching online, he is working in a powerful way and he is touching your heart and you realize God's drawing me to himself. He he really loves me. He's been patient with me. He wants me to come to him. He wants to have a relationship with me. God loves you wherever you are. And it is only because of his patience that he does not execute his judgment on us. But it will come if we do not take responsibility for ourselves and make the decision to trust Jesus as our Savior. God is sovereign. And you and I are responsible. God's sovereignty doesn't excuse you from your responsibility to respond to Jesus and give your heart to him today. Now there's an accompanying word that goes along with that. To those of us who are part of the church, it's found in Matthew chapter 9, verses 37 and 38. It's the words of Jesus. And Jesus says in Matthew 9, verses 37 and 38, the harvest is abundant, but the workers are few. Therefore pray to the Lord of harvest to send the workers into his harvest field. Healthy churches are filled with people who are on mission with God every day. They're showing and sharing the love of Jesus with their neighbors, their classmates, their co-workers, grocery store clerks, postal workers, servers at restaurants. There is a plentiful harvest, Jesus says. And we are the workers. You know, a lot of times what we think is we think, well, nobody really wants to hear this. I mean, they'll think I'm a holy roller. That's not what Jesus says. Jesus says, there are people all around us who are crying out for hope and looking for an answer. And Jesus is the answer. They just need somebody to go and tell them about Jesus, wherever they are. And we do the sharing and God does the saving. Hallelujah. But he wants to involve us in the process. Sadly, I've learned that many servers at restaurants dread Sundays. Because many people 
who have just been to a church worship service come to the restaurant. They may even ask the server, how can we pray for you? They may even leave a gospel track with the server and then complain about the service, how slow it is, and leave no tip or very little tip. And that's the testimony we give to people that we're trying to reach. Hey, lean in, okay? Lean in. If you can't leave a good tip, please stay at home and eat. We are trying to influence our community with the good news of Jesus Christ and open the door to be a witness to them in our community. But thankfully there are many Christians who are also setting a good example through Operation Christmas Child. Through disaster relief where there is wreckage and lives have been just trying to put their lives back together And while people are in chaos and wondering, I don't even know where to begin, we rush in and we go in and we help them put their lives back together. We help clean up things and help them begin to get their feet underneath them. And along the way, you know what it does? It opens the door for us to share with them, look, we're just here because we care about you. Well, I don't understand why somebody would come here and care about me. Well, let me tell you about my Jesus. There are people in this church who are serving in the community through soup kitchens and clothes closets. And there are different ways that people are serving here. And some of you who are serving are serving those who are emergency workers who on holidays like Thanksgiving and Christmas, they don't stay home with their families. They go to work and they work all day. And we know this and so what do we do? We fix a hot meal for them, turkey, dressing, all the fixings, and we take it to the fire station or we take it to the jail because they don't get to be home with their family like we do. And we do it in the name of Jesus. Healthy churches are made of people who are determined to tell the world about Jesus. And they're intentional about it. Secondly, I want you to notice that healthy churches are made of people who are committed to hearing and obeying God's word. Acts 2.42 tells us that those who were saved devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching. Now what were the apostles teaching? They were teaching them about Jesus. 2 Peter 3.18 says we're to grow in the grace and knowledge of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. And we do that through studying the scriptures. We do that through sitting under the teaching of God's word. And we do it through the practicing of God's word. It's not enough for us to be hearers only. We must be doers of the word. John 14, 21, Jesus said, the one who has my commands and what? Keeps them is the one who loves me. 
Among his many commands, Jesus instructs his followers to make disciples. And based on that command, Paul admonished his young protege, Timothy, in this way. He said to him, Timothy, what you've heard from me in the presence of many witnesses, commit to faithful men who will be able to teach others also. In other words, Timothy, find faithful people whom you can disciple who will make disciples. Now the word disciple means learner, but it's kind of a foreign word to us in our society. So whenever I think of the word disciple, the way I think of it is in a modern terminology, which a better term might be an apprentice. And we're familiar with apprenticeships. A plumber's apprentice works at the side of a master plumber. And the first part of the job is the master plumber goes in, diagnoses the problem. He sends the apprentice out to the, cru- to the truck to get the part that he needs to make the repair. That's the way it begins. And then eventually he works into helping the master plumber make the repair. Uh, the repair. And then eventually with the master plumber at his side... The apprentice makes the repair and the master plumber just tells him what he's done wrong or what he's done right and makes sure that the job is done right. But eventually he gets to the point where the apprentice can do the same thing that the master plumber can do. Jesus is pouring into the disciples. The Holy Spirit comes in and fills their lives. They've been watching Jesus practice certain spiritual disciplines. Jesus has memorized the Scripture. He's committed Scripture to memory. Jesus knows the Word, and Jesus is living out the Word before people. And they're seeing the Word of God come to life through the life of Jesus. That's what a disciple who makes disciples does. We model the spiritual disciplines that Jesus himself practiced and we do it in a close context with other people so that they see what this looks like and then they learn how to do these things and then they go off and they make other disciples who model the disciplines of Jesus. That's what it means to be a disciple. And we have what we call D-groups here in our church. D-groups, a discipleship group. And I tell you, this is one of the greatest needs in the church today. Because one of the greatest needs in our churches is spiritual maturity. You've had a perhaps had a child of your own or grandchildren. Man, one of the happiest occasions of a family is when you bring a baby home. And it's thrilling. If it's your first, it's a little bit frightening, right? But it's just a wonderful time, a celebration. And you take care of that baby and you nurture that baby and you feed that baby 
And you do that for a while, and then the baby begins to grow. And the diet and the intake begins to change. And you go from milk to those soft foods and jars. And then you go from those soft food and jars to food that they can actually chew with teeth when the teeth start to come in and they can begin to swallow those kinds of whole solid foods. And we just look forward and we're excited to the day when they can pick up a fork and feed themselves. And it's kind of messy at first, right? I mean, some in, some on the table, some on the floor. I mean, you talk about pig pen from the Peanuts cartoon. But eventually they learn how to feed themselves. And in some instances they go on to get married and then they have children of their own. One of the greatest needs in our church is a spiritual maturity. And I would dare say that if I have found in my own life is that you will not grow to spiritual maturity trying to do it on your own. You need to surround yourself with four or five other men who covenant together to practice the spiritual disciplines of Jesus to model these for one another and to hold each other accountable for a lifestyle. You know the number one reason why pastors fall today? Because they get in isolation. And nobody's holding them accountable. Nobody's asking them the tough questions. How are things at home? Nobody's asking them, what are you watching on TV? What are you looking at on the internet? Guys, we all need people in our lives whom we give the the permission to ask us the tough questions. Healthy churches are made of people who are committed to hearing and obeying the word of God. Growing in spiritual maturity through discipleship. Number three, healthy churches are made of people who are known for their togetherness. We read in Acts chapter 2 that the people in Jerusalem who became followers of Jesus devoted themselves to the fellowship, to the breaking of bread and to prayer. Verse 44 goes on to say, and all the believers were what? Together. And then it goes on to add in verse 46 that they were meeting in the temple complex and they were meeting from house to house. They devoted themselves to the fellowship. Now that word fellowship to us is oftentimes synonymous with eating, right? But the biblical word fellowship comes from the Greek word koinonia and means to have in common, okay? It means to have in common. So, fellowship occurs at its, at its root when we share the life of Jesus with one another. And we do that when we gather together 
and open the Word of God and study the Bible together. We do that when we gather to worship. We do that when we receive the Lord's Supper. We do that when we pray together. We do that when we serve others together. And yes, it can and ought to happen at the potluck supper. But fellowship is not the food. Fellowship is what we share in common with Jesus. That's what we share with each other. And the food may be the thing that brings us together, but it's not the thing that holds us together. According to Acts chapter 2, verses 9 through 11, those who came to know Christ on the day of Pentecost, they were from all over the world. They spoke different languages. What broke down the barriers was Jesus. I want to say a few things about fellowship real quickly. To have fellowship, we must walk in the light as God is light. 1 John 1, 6 and 7 says this, If we say we have fellowship with the Father and yet we walk in darkness, we are lying and not practicing the truth. If we walk in the light as He Himself is in the light, we have fellowship with one another and the blood of Jesus cleanses us from all sin. What does it mean to walk in the light? It's integrity. Integrity is actually a mathematical word. Integer means one. It means that the body, soul, the mind, the spirit all agree with one another. Now, I want you to know that I have a tremendous, a tremendous advertising agency working on my behalf. (laughs) Because you see, for every one of us, there are three sources of truth. There's what we tell other people we are. There's what other people assume we are. And then there's who God knows we are. You know what integrity is? It's when all three of those agree with one another. Because we all have a really good advertising agency working on our behalf, right? But you and I both know that's not always true for us. Integrity is when we have the honesty and fellowship with other people to walk in the light and say, hey, I've got issues. I've got problems. Now, do you think everybody's going to put their hand over their mouth and say, oh, oh? You know what's going to happen most likely? If they're really heat-seeking after Jesus now, they're going to sigh, a big old sigh of relief because For the first time in their life, they realize, I'm not the only one who struggles. Remember, the church is not made up of perfect people. We have fellowship with one another when we walk in the light as he is in the light. And we don't have fellowship if we're not doing that. I mean, there's no way around that. That's just in there. That's plain. Whatever we do, we can call it a fellowship, but it's not fellowship, we're not doing that. Secondly, 
we have fellowship with one another when we share our experiences. Now, I don't want to offend anybody, but I just want to tell you something. We're all ignorant, just on different subjects. You know something I don't know, and I may know something you don't know. And when we come together and you share with me what I don't know, and I share with you what you don't know, that's fellowship. We all have something to share with each other. When we fellowship with one another, we share our lives with one another. When we share a joy with someone, our joy is doubled. When we share a sorrow or a burden with someone else, do you know that sorrow or that burden is cut in half? That's fellowship. And there's times in this life when we all need a hug. I'm reminded of Linda, young single woman. She was heading from Alberta, Canada to Whitehorse in the Yukon Territory in Canada in a Honda Civic Linda didn't know you don't travel the rough and rugged highway from Alberta to Whitehorse in the Yukon Territory in a Honda Civic. That's territory that only four-wheel drives venture. And so she found a place to stay as she had just begun her journey at the base of a mountain. She got a room. She told the clerk, I need a 5 a.m. wake-up call. I'm heading to Whitehorse. He looked back at her kind of funny. She wondered why he looked funny until she woke up the next morning and found that fog had completely shrouded the mountain. You could not see your hand in front of your face. Then she realized, I don't want to look totally foolish, so she got dressed and she went down and she had breakfast. It was a small restaurant. There were only two truckers seated in there beside her, and they invited her to come over and have breakfast with them. And because the place was small, and it would be totally awkward for her to turn them down, she agreed. So she went over, sat down with them. They said, where are you headed? She said, White Horse. They looked out the door, the door and saw that Civic sitting out there in the parking lot, and they said, in that thing? You'll never make it. And she said, well, I'm determined to try. And one of the truckers looked at her and said, well, then I guess we're just going to have to give you a hug. She shrunk back and she said, not on your life. You're not going to touch me. And then they chuckled amongst one another and they said, no, no, no. <laughs> That's not at all what we mean. What we mean is one of us will hop in his big rig and ride in front of you to lead the way. And the other one will get in this truck behind you to follow you to give you that support that you need right behind you in case anything should happen. And all that way, she followed two red dots in front of her and had the assurance of a big rig behind her. You know what fellowship is? In this unpredictable, sometimes difficult, rugged, rough life, we just need a hug. Someone who's a little bit ahead of us and can give us the guidance we need 
and the reassurance of someone else behind us to encourage us. That's fellowship. And then I want you to notice, fourthly, healthy churches are made of people who have a willingness to serve others. It says in verse 45, they sold their possessions and property and they distributed the proceeds to all as any had need. And Luke adds this, he says, and they enjoyed favor of all the people. John 13, Jesus said this. He got a towel, he washed the feet of his disciples, and he said, you call me Lord and teacher, and you're right in speaking this way since that's who I am. So if I, your Lord and teacher, have washed your feet, you also ought to wash one another's feet, for I have given you an example that you should do just as I have done to you. Every one of us this morning has a choice to make. I want to ask you this morning, are you going to pick up your title or are you going to pick up your towel? In Matthew 20, Christ declared the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve and to give his life a ransom for many. Paul writing in Philippians chapter 2 says this, Adopt the same attitude as that of Christ Jesus who existed in the form of God and not consider equality with God as something to be exploited. Instead, what did he do? He emptied himself by assuming the form of a servant, taking on the likeness of humanity. And when he had come as a man, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on the cross. You and I are most like Jesus when we are serving others. Not being served, but serving. The Bible teaches that the Holy Spirit imparts a spiritual gift to us. The spiritual gift that he gives to us is so that we can use that gift to build up and serve other people. You're never going to learn your spiritual gift by going to a class. The way to discover your spiritual gift is just jump in there and start serving and God will show you you got a real gift for this, a real knack for that. And here's when you really find your place, you know what will happen? It'll be something that you could get up and do in the morning at 8 o'clock and do it all day and never grow tired of it. That's what a spiritual gift does. Healthy churches are made of people who have a willingness to serve and then I want you to notice healthy churches are made of people who have a heart for worship. Look at verse 47. They were praising God. Right of the Hebrews said, Let us continually offer up to God a sacrifice of praise, that is, the fruit of lips that confess His name. Those are interesting words, and they deserve a little attention. A sacrifice... In the Old Testament, sacrifices were offering the blood of animals. In the New Testament, Jesus Christ is the sacrifice that fulfilled all the Old Testament law. So in the New Testament, our sacrifices are acts of worship to God. You know what those are? Giving to God our body 
as a living sacrifice. Giving a gift to a servant of God. By the way, I want to say thank you to those of you who gave a little something, expressed your thank you through a card or through a gift, something financial or a gift card or something that you gave to our ministers this past month. That was so appreciated. I thank you for those of you who did something special for me. It certainly was not anything that I expected, but I'm so grateful for it. Do you know that's considered an act of worship by God when you give a gift to one of his servants? It's offering to God the fruit of lips that confess his name. It's doing good and sharing with others. And those are the sacrificial actions that represent one form of worship and praise. Worship's not a Sunday thing. It's an everyday thing. Worship's not about style, it's about substance. True worship is singing to God, it's not singing songs about God. And we get all hung up on that. True worship is not just something we do with our lips. It's bringing praise to Jesus with our lives. Healthy churches are made of people who worship God from the heart. Those are five ingredients for a healthy church. A lot of things we could do. Churches are all susceptible to mission drift. What are the things that we must do to make a healthy church? You know, for everyone in this place, in this room and watching online, for each of us, there's a starting point. The starting point is, first of all, get connected to Jesus. Scripture says in the book of Acts in the 16th chapter, believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and you will be saved. Get started with Jesus and get connected to the church. We read in Acts chapter 2 that those who believed were baptized. They identified with Jesus and those who identified with Jesus. And they did so through baptism. But also for each of us, there's a connecting point. Get connected to a discipleship group. A gender-specific group of four or five men or four or five women who covenant with one another to meet weekly for the purpose of helping each other grow in Christ-likeness. Then get connected through volunteering, serving others inside the church and outside the church. Being on mission with God every day. Sharing the life and love of Jesus. Now, I don't know about you, but for every one of us, I believe there's a next step to take. Which step is God calling you to take? It's your move. Let's pray. Can we stand together for prayer?
Lord, thank you that throughout my lifetime there have been people who have been um, models of the very things that we talked about this morning that you've showed us in your word for me. And, and some of those people are right here in this room. And I'm so grateful for them. I'm so grateful for this church that's committed to making Jesus real and being intentional about it for making Jesus real to me and Lord I pray for that person today who's hurting and broken hearted that just as we opened our service as Tom led us today our emphasis in our 14 days of prayer in our church he's times when we're not firing a shotgun, but we're all aiming our rifles in one direction at the same target. Lord, you are El Royai, the God who sees us and the God who heals. And Lord, we're counting on you to heal those hurts that are just too deep for humans to heal and to use us as a part of the healing process in the lives of those around us who are hurting. Open our eyes to see those needs, God, and to step in, to rush in sometimes in situations when others are running out. Lord, I just thank you so much for how you love us. And today I pray for that person who realized that today they need you as their Savior and Lord. And Father, I thank you that you call us by name, one by one, that your call is unmistakable, that the Holy Spirit never fails to work in the life of that person who says, I want Jesus. Lord, we love you, we worship you now, and as we leave this place, we enter into our mission field. In Jesus' name.